internet. Mike and Andy here, uh, World Vox headquarters, Berea, California. Um, we are on a roll, my brothers and sisters. We are on a roll. You cannot stop us now. And um, more interviews. So we're going to interview today a guy who worked uh, in the faith-based uh, office, the faith office and neighborhood development office for President Obama. Yeah, he was basically, the, he represented faith outreach for the White House. You didn't read the book yet. So you, I, you cannot speak authoritatively. I have read the book. <laughs> and um, he, anyway, he's got a book out called Reclaiming Hope. Andy heard him on another podcast and went, oh, this guy, this guy's going to give a really interesting perspective that, um, that, that it's kind of fishing around the same ponds of uh, what we've been talking about with Jesus and politics. And so um, read the book uh, earlier this week and just sat down and had a great, great interview with him. Um, as always, we are thrilled to be a part of your life. Uh, we want to hear from you. So voxoc.com is the church. Voxpodcast.com is the podcast. Um, live show coming up April 20th. Andy, uh, yes. are we are we full? Um, we at, By this time, we're going to be full. I, okay. Yeah. So you can check with us in, in, in a waiting list and whatever else. Yeah, sure. We're just continually shocked that... Um, that that people come and people are excited to come and yeah. so man we love it and if you're one of our patreon supporters we cannot thank you enough for your uh, kind support uh, of us and if you want to join them there are all sorts of uh, levels and prizes and not prizes gifts perhaps mm-hmm. um so anyway we're gonna we're gonna introduce you to uh, michael ware he has written a book called reclaiming hope and we have a great 40 minute conversation with him beginning now it is unbelievable how significant we have become in our own eyes because we have been, we have been getting people who are interested in being on our show. And, and like this is kind of one of the bigger ones. This is a big fish we're going to talk to today. Um, so Michael Ware wrote a book called Reclaiming Hope, and it's about uh, being a, a follower of Jesus in the Obama White House. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, he is graciously... Uh, condescended from his perch in uh, Northern Virginia to join us at the Vox World Headquarters in Brea, California via Skype. And my brother, hello, good morning. <laughs> good morning. It's good to be with you. What, uh, what's the weather there in Virginia today? It's actually, it's, it's beautiful today. So it's like probably 65, 70 and my, the, uh, you know, the trees and the flowers outside my Office window will probably be blooming pretty soon. So, uh, I like so that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's perking up around here. Are you in shorts right now? Uh, no, no, I am not. And, and why not? <laughs> um, I'm not a shorts guy. Now, is that because other people have told you you're not a shorts guy? Or is that because you have a deep and abiding conviction about your own ability to wear shorts? <laughs> <laughs> These are very important questions. I, just around the house because uh, uh, we uh, prefer to wear long pants. I'm a long pants guy. Around the house, you wear long pants. I, I do. Yeah. That is that's. A I mean, world... not like a not like a tuxedo. <laughs> right, right. See, unlike you, unlike you, Mike, where you choose to show the glory of your whiteness, you um, don't. You know, from the knees down. That's right. Michael is a bit more humble about his glory and reflection of. I don't know if that's what it is. Are you? Are you? A... I'm Italian, so my legs are pretty hairy. So I don't know how much reflection is, is coming off of that. <laughs> then you're already wearing pants. Why would you wear them? Why would you wear them twice? Now, now, now that we got that out of the way, Michael. 
Are you a Star Wars? Come up in my previous interviews. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this will. I'm sure this interview will cause you never to say yes to strange requests again. But are you a are you a Star Wars guy? Are you a sci-fi guy? Are you a Lord of the Rings guy? Talk to me. No, not not not. I mean, I've I've watched all the movies, but I'm not kind of, you know, I don't. Uh, I don't have the topographical map of, you know, uh, Middle Earth memorized. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. But I, I, I like the movies. Um, I, I'm really getting into, um, there have been a number of great movies about space travel that have yep. come out. Um, yep. uh, Spaceballs. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Flash Gordon. Uh, uh, Interstellar is yeah. one of Yes, them. yes. Last decade, uh, Arrival. They didn't travel. They but Arrival was fantastic. Yeah. So so uh, uh, so I've been I've been kind of really enjoying those those kinds of movies. These you days. know, Amy Adams and I would be a good couple. Is that right? <laughs> I just you know if if God hadn't led me to my sweet wife, um, I think Amy and I would would uh, do well together. <laughs> I have those kind of eyes, very expressive. All right, Michael, uh, <laughs> you. We are so excited to talk to you. Uh, so you've written a book called Reclaiming Hope, and and I absolutely devoured this thing, um, and it's about being a Jesus follower in the Obama White House, and 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 all the weirdness um, that came with that. So, so tell us just uh, you're from Buffalo, yeah, right, uh, which is near Cleveland, so it's kind of the Cleveland of New York, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so we love each other. Um, but but you have this great story about how you met then Senator Obama. Uh, tell us just yeah. quickly about how in the world you got roped into a White House um, position uh, that started with just a weird conversation and a date that is yeah. missed. So I um, I was going to college at George Washington University uh, in, in D.C. and was supposed to be leading a group to the Democratic Winter Convention in um, – nice. In February of 2007. Were you a Jesus guy at this point? Yes, I was. Um, and so, so I, I got to the hotel and, um, you know, there's not really much going on there, but it was my first political convention. I kind of figure like I'll open up a, a door and like the convention will be there. So That's I walk right. around the hotel. It's a huge hotel. Um, I spent five, ten minutes looking for this thing finally give up and ask the receptionist, you know, hey, you know, where is this convention? And she goes, oh, honey, that's not for another couple days. And so (laughs) I I had the wrong date for this thing. Um, So I'm walking out embarrassed and dejected um, through the hotel lobby. And a young senator by the name of Barack Obama is walking in uh, through the lobby um, for meetings the day or two before, before the convention. Um, so he had, he would announce he was running for president like the next week. So he didn't have secret service with him yet. There wasn't a huge horde of folks trying to get out. He basically walked up to me. Um, and I had followed his career. For... Were you, were you in shorts or were you in long pants <laughs> at this point? <laughs> well, so, so, uh, I, I was uh, in pants. Uh, thankfully, I don't think I would have gotten the job if I was in shorts. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, and since uh, since I wasn't planning on seeing him, that's why I wear just in case like he shows up. You know, in I case in case Hillary drops by, you're ready. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. I want I want to be caught in shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, that make it makes it makes sense now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so, so back to my meeting with the next president of the United States. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, so he basically walked with me. I had followed his career, told him I wanted to work for him, and I thought he should run for president. And connected with, uh, he connected me with his body man, a guy Reggie Love. Um, which is the coolest name ever, ever, uh, yeah. but uh, ever. Um, but uh, I stayed in touch with Reggie and a couple other staffers, and ten months later, I was in Iowa for the Iowa caucus. Oh my goodness! And then, and then you were were you just kind of a regular staffer, or did you have a, a faith based position there? Yeah, so I was um, I was doing faith outreach almost from the get go. Okay. So. It, by the time I got to Iowa, it was really close to the caucus, so we were knocking on doors. Everyone was knocking on doors and kind of doing the get-out-the-vote stuff. But then I went to Chicago, um, where the headquarters was, and, and was was in the religious affairs department. Oh, my goodness. And then that, that got parlayed into, like, a White House thing, right? Right, and you can't really... Um, couldn't have a like when I when I joined the campaign, the president was still polling in single digits in yeah. some in some national polls. So th- this wasn't like a um, I believed in him. I want to work for him. I thought he'd be a good president, um, but did not have sort of uh, an expectation <laughs> at, at all, or even an imagination for it really. Um, uh, uh, but but yeah, so I. Uh, after the campaign, worked on the inaugural, um, and then um, and, and then and then went to the White House in February, officially in February of 2009. And and your role was in what office? I mean, I know the answers to these things because yeah, I yeah. read it. But yeah, so I was awesome. in the Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. It's a White House office that was started by George W. Bush to help um, be a resource to the faith community and, and smaller nonprofits. Uh, to serve those in need. So um, this is this is Obama's secret Muslim outreach to his brotherhood, correct? That that's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what what was that? And li- you broke it. It's it's not a secret anymore. Oh <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Break, breaking news on on Vox podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now now what was that? Okay, so you're a Christian. Let's yeah. consider all of the angles. So you're a Christian in a democratic um white house um called by some as the most pro-choice candidate ever um how how was that all how was that all reconciling in you um in terms of your personal convictions versus serving at the pleasure of the president yeah well right so um well so it's just that serving at the pleasure of the president so right at some level there's no Reconciliation, because I'm I'm still me, and uh, uh, and and just just because I'm working for a job doesn't mean that I don't have a don't have opinions on things. Now I I agree on the vast uh, you know set of issues with the president. So I you know I was there for I supported the president's political agenda. I'm I'm glad he won in 2008 and 2012. Um, But there were some issues that that I had different uh, opinion on. and so um, it, it was keeping in mind, I did serve at the pleasure of the president. Nobody elected me. Yeah. And so uh, part of my job was to make sure that voices 
uh, from the faith community were represented in policy and outreach discussions. And so I was able to play that role. But um, you, you become really sensitive to the fact of the burden that the office holder um, has um, and the fact that, um, that and I, I write about this a little bit in the book, this isn't just for the president, it was for, um, for other staff there. Um, you, you know, there, there's a responsibility with the decisions that you make that are going to be felt by the uh, person in the office, right. by folks who are more uh, who, uh, in senior staff. And, and, and so you just got to be um, sensitive about that and serve as well as you can. I never felt like sort of I was put in a position where I had to do something that was, you know, deeply against my conscience. A lot of that was because I was in the faith-based office right. where uh, our primary role was to help the president navigate religious issues and then to help faith communities work with the government to serve those in need. Um, so it was, it was a pretty, um, it was a pretty, you know, specific kind of, kind of role. What was that? What was it like to be in a faith-based office and yet have such heat coming from, many of the faith-based communities of the, of the conservative stripe. So you've yeah. got, you've got Driscoll tweeting out this, you know, he doesn't know Jesus. You've got conservative yeah. Christians, you know, rallying for Mormon. You've got, I mean, yeah. it just seems like there was a constant drip of he's Muslim, he's Kenyan. He's, I mean, so what was that like? Yeah. So, um, you know, part of it is just our politics, right? Right now, you know, so, George W. Bush faced heat from other aspects of the the faith community. So some some of it wasn't overly specific yeah. to Barack Obama. Um, you know, I had a really good understanding that that developed further as I as I worked for the president longer and worked in politics longer. Um, that uh, that if if i sought to get my identity from politics and if i sought to um if i sought to view sort of political uh affiliations and those kind of squabbles as um like a primary indicator of uh of of my faith then it was it was it was just not going to work out and i don't think it it would be it would be wise or theologically sort of right way to go about it. And yeah. so, you know, it was, um, uh, yeah. So, so it, uh, were right. you surprised? Were you surprised by you, some of the heat? Um, I mean, there are reasons for all of it. So, right. I, I, I write, uh, in the fourth chapter of reclaiming hope, I talk about, um, you know, and this is going to sound, you know, re, re, you know, for those listening, you know, read, read the chapter so you can get a better sense of what I'm talking about. But I, I talked through, you know, what I call like some of the sincere reasons people could think that the president wasn't a wasn't a Christian. The fact, right. you know, a, a sincere person, they, they there might be better ways to go about it. But a sincere person could say, well, you know, I believe a Christian goes to church. The president hasn't selected a church in the White House. And so put put uh, now, now I've walked through that decision and why right. that right. decision was made. But, um, you know, th there are reasons for a lot of the things that happen in, in public life. Now, would it would it hurt me if you know, uh, especially if, uh, you know, family members, friends back home, um, folks at, at churches I was visiting would, uh, would, you know, 
issue crass sort of accusations and that kind of thing. Yeah, but that that wasn't about faith, right? That was that was just, you know, why are you being so mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. What was the the thing I found fascinating were the the instructions given to the to that office. You said there were four things, um, four priorities, and strengthening the role of community organizations in economic recovery, reducing unintended pregnancies, supporting responsible fatherhood in strong communities, promoting interfaith dialogue and cooperation, which yes. you kind of like, wow, who could argue who could argue with those? And okay. and and wasn't there? Um, wasn't part of the subtext of this reducing the need for abortions, right? Yeah. No, it absolutely was. The president made that uh, explicit both in that executive order that you're reading from uh, and also um, in his first five months in office, he went to Notre Dame and gave a speech about how he wanted to find common ground on the issue of abortion in a, in a pretty unprecedented way. I mean, typically... When Democrats go to speak at, you know, Catholic institutions, they'll give remarks on, you know, poverty or the environment or immigration issues where there are more, uh, where the common ground is a little more clear. But the president said, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I want to go right into the, right into the maelstrom, right into, you know, the heart of uh, what makes things difficult for, uh, uh, for us to work together sometimes. And and he did that in a pretty bold way. Were there? Did you find? Um that there were a large number of social conservatives who were willing to play in, in that sort of common ground area? Uh, no, uh, you know, there were some, and we, we, we worked with them. Um, you know, part of the dynamics around that was uh, pro-life activists, particularly those in DC, just didn't want to give the president uh the ability to say that he found common ground on abortion, particularly when they had run, just, you know, tried to defeat him in 2008 by saying he'd be the most pro-abortion president. Well, you can't really, if you're a pro-life organization, you can't really work with the guy that you said was going to be the most pro-abortion president. I mean, the, the, the cake is already baked in many ways. Um, and so, so that, that was a, that was a real problem. We could have made, um, headway not just on policy grounds which we did you know anyways but on sort of cultural grounds and on you bringing folks together but um again as i lay out in the book for both sides were to blame for for that failure and and part of it was um pro-life community just not wanting to sort of uh, feeling like it would be seeding leverage to do anything other than raise alarm bells about Got it. you know everything the president was doing what did um what did you learn about how to be a jesus follower in the public square like if you've got so we have a whole bunch of of people who are so sick of politics they just want to opt out and you make a very passionate case for why they should not yeah but what's the what's positive political engagement look like so so that's an example of a political engagement that actually hinders hinders the good work we're trying to do uh, what's what? Where were examples of of Christians or socially conservative faith groups that really got this right? So what's that look? If somebody was like, okay, well, how do I be political in a Jesus kind of way? What's that look like? Well, there are so there are so many, and, and that's why you know I, I wrote the book because what I'm talking about is is possible, and I know it's possible because I've seen it happen day after day. I, I mean, 
every day I was in the White House, I, I got to work with a faith-based group that was quietly serving uh, people in a way um, that was profound and helpful. Um, and I could tell you about hundreds of nonprofits that are doing amazing, you know, all the way from, you know, World Vision to uh, this this little nonprofit called Interfaith Furnishings. I think they're <laughs> in New Jersey and they... Uh, they provide furniture to uh, from an interfaith group of uh, houses of worship, and they <laughs> deliver furniture to uh, to folks who need it, who can't afford furniture. Awesome. I mean, it's incredible. Um, and so, uh, and so, so there, there there's there's it, it's happening already. So you don't need to look far yeah. as far as sort of um, political engagement. I mean, I'll give you. Uh, so I have a buddy, Tyler Wig Stevenson. Yep. Uh, Tyler, you may know Tyler. He wrote the best Christian book of 2015, in my opinion. The world is not ours to save. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was um, he's founded an organization called the Two Futures Project mm-hmm. um, that is uh, raising Christian awareness and ad- advocacy around nuclear disarmament. If it wasn't for the work that Tyler and Two Futures Project did in partnership with the Catholic bishops. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to get the New START treaty done, and that the, the president's national security advisor would say that. So, uh, hmm. nuclear uh, the nuclear arsenals of the U.S. and Russia are uh, less because Christians were proactively engaging in in politics. The same could be said for um, an organization or, or a coalition called the Circle of Protection that. Uh, was everyone from National Association of Evangelicals to Sojourners to, I think, uh, Bread for the World and National Council of Churches. So mm-hmm. really a, a diverse Christian coalition um, said that our budget shouldn't be balanced um, at the backs of those in, most in need and that we shouldn't be uh, making deep cuts in the social uh, the, the the social safety net. And and, and they won. The, 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 the cuts that Republicans were seeking we're not we're not advanced. Um, so I, I could tell you uh, many stories uh, of, uh, across the board, um, uh, across the political spectrum of Christians. What do they have in common? Way. Yeah, uh, a few things. One, they're other centered. Good. Um, and, and and that is that is because uh, uh, our our politics is increasingly. Um, self-interested and self-focused, hmm. um, but but Christians can be salt and light in politics um, because we find our security elsewhere. Yeah. And so when we go into politics, we're not looking for affirmation. We're not looking uh, solely to sort of uh, you know have you know express ourselves or kind of make ourselves known. We're, we're freed up to engage in politics for for the sake of others. Uh, they, sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, it could be the president. Uh, yeah, it could be. Um, I just hung up on him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're they're other centered. They are. Um, uh, they they are they're committed. They make commitments. Hmm. Um, hmm. Their their engagement is not. Uh, uh, leading or sporadic um they, they make commitments and then the third thing i'd say is that um you know there's a there's a humility that acknowledges both um that what they're 
advocating for is not the utmost or the ultimate, but also humility that allows them to advocate for something because they understand that sort of the weight of the world is not on their shoulders and that, uh, that their responsibility is just to steward the information and the knowledge and the resources that they have at the moment towards the good as, as, as they're able to see it. Um, uh, and so th- those would be three, three factors, humility, commitment, and an other center. When you talk about uh, some of your experiences or when people read them, what are Christians or social sort of conservatives? And I know those are not interchangeable, but I mean, the, so- the socially conservative Christians, what are they most surprised about when they hear about the Obama White House or the president and his family? What do they, what, what, what shocks them? By far, they can't believe all of the Christian things that the president said while he was in, in office. I right. mean, so I, I go through uh, in chapters four and five, uh, in particular, um, his national prayer breakfast speeches and quote a bit from his Easter prayer breakfast speeches, which are Easter prayer breakfast is a tradition he started in 2010 that continued for the rest of his time in office where he would reflect on the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it meant for his life in the East Room of the White House in front of 160 Christian leaders. I mean, like, people don't <laughs> know that even existed. Uh-huh. Um, but but you read those statements, and, and people are like, wow, I can't believe... Now, they may say, well, you know, someone wrote it for them, and, uh, 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 you know, it's politics, which, which it is. Like, we shouldn't pretend that he's not a politician. Um, right. Uh, but he also said those things out loud. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like there, there, there's a certain, uh, whatever caveats you want to place on it, he said them in a, you know, publicly yeah. in yeah. statements that are on whitehouse.gov. <laughs> yep. As long as the Trump administration... I was going to say, are they still there? <laughs> yeah. Since most of the sites been scrubbed. scrubbed them out yet. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be interesting. You know, I don't know. Did you have any insight into, you know, what, what President Obama must have been thinking when he saw President Trump win? And the indictment that, and all of that 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 represented? And do you have any insight into, whole, into that? Yeah, I mean... Uh... I think there was uh, there was utter disappointment. Folks were it's it surprised most everyone. Hmm. Um, I, I think uh, I, th- I think he thinks that he would have won a third term. Yeah, <laughs> you know if he ran. So I so I think that that's you know that that you know I I, th- I think that's certainly <laughs> like I don't, I don't I don't think that he thinks it was all because of him that 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 there's not a Democrat in the White House. Right, right, um, yeah, right. Uh, and and, and uh, I, I think if Hillary would have won, um, he may have taken a bit of a longer vacation. He wanted to be ramping up the Obama Foundation as quickly as he is. Right. Uh, uh, some of his top aides may have gone on longer vacations and not has spoken out so early on politics, but, but actually I think it's an invigorating, remember he's a young, he's a young guy. We haven't had a, a post presidency, um, that will last, you know, as long as, you know, God willing, you know, his will, right. um, uh, uh, really like ever. Um, and so, uh, it, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, obviously, you know, Bill Clinton is, is comparable, but, um, but it's it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how that works out. But I think he feels he feels invigorated by uh, 
the fact that this is just another chapter in our democracy. Yeah, that yeah. is interesting. Do you, um, when when you were in the office of uh, faith-based neighborhood development and those sorts of things, um, you know, there was this very big movement against some of the president's policies, particularly as they pertain to Obamacare, the contraception mandate, um, uh, the, some of the executive, you know, guidance about transgender bathrooms, I mean, those sorts of things. I mean, so, so, you know, you say there was from the conservative side, there was a war on religion. That's what they were saying. And then from the progressive side, it was a war on women. Right. What what was the truth of that in, in your mind as you were as you were personally representing the Obama administration to faith communities who were in revolt? What were those conversations like? Yeah, well, right. So I, I an entire chapter of my book looks at the HHS mandate, the contraception mandate issue. Um, I have a chapter on the president's uh, evolution on gay marriage. So I, I look at all of this uh, pretty in depth and, and yep. with as, as clear eyed as I could. Um, you, you know, so this is a part of the theme of those chapters is that these sort of political attacks had substantive policy concerns at their core, but those aren't good enough for our politics anymore. That mm. now we need to say, you know, that, that, that you know, Barack Obama's waking up every morning wondering how he could destroy the church. And, you know, uh, uh, Speaker Boehner and Paul Ryan are uh, uh, want to, you know, take women, drag women back to the 1950s or 1850s or whatever century Democrats right. are, right. you know, yapping about now. Um, and and uh, so so there were real serious policy disagreements. They had, they had really important implications on both sides. Um, but, but folks need to, um, folks need to understand that there were in politics, there are almost always, um, or I, I guess I should say it's best to assume until proven otherwise that there are positive, And I don't mean positive in a value sense. I just mean positive in terms of there are things positive things that people aiming for. So the contraception mandate from the administration's perspective was not about limiting the religious freedom of, of uh, religious institutions. It was about expanding access to what they consider to be a, uh, a fundamental, necessary, uh, essential health service and contraception to millions of more women than had access to it before. Right. Um, so, so we could debate that. We could debate whether that our employer-based health insurance system is the best way to deliver contraception, uh, particularly when it invokes uh, and involves religious organizations. But but that's a whole other argument than yeah. why is Barack Obama, uh, you know, trying to destroy the church today? Right. Yeah. Well, and then you had the Louis Giglio thing. Uh, yeah. I don't know on the inaugural prayer was that where you were involved in that, correct? Yeah. In terms yeah. of the selection of him. And then the the fear that went around when, you know, I don't know, it was tape recorded comments from in a sermon from right, like 15 right. years ago. I mean, you really sat through a lot of a lot of religious stuff in ways that, you know, I don't know that George W. did. Um, it, so this is just interesting. It's it. And you do. I, I will say I will say it to our listeners. You do a great job of being gracious and honest about even where you were at with some of this stuff and what you were recommending 
and you got uh, you got overridden. So that was, I mean, for for those of us who who sat through the culture wars that all of this was producing, it's really interesting to get a yeah. kind of insider's perspective on it. I'm still fascinated though by now that you're now that you're out of that. How how does your uh, how did your Jesus following affect your political activism? How did it then and how does it now? Because I think that's the thing people have a hard time putting together. Um, well, I mean, right. So I think all, all the things we we uh, spoke about earlier, uh, right. you know, definitely imperfectly, but, you know, uh, I, I try to um, engage politically in a way that is, other centered in a way okay. that reflects yep, commitments, yep, yep. Um, in a way that has a, a humility that doesn't um, lend itself either to self-importance or impotence, um, which humility uh, at, it, at its at its best is a um, uh, is a guard against both. Yep. Um, and and you know it's it's just a perspective that. You know, even even in days when I was working, you know, 16, 18 hours a day uh, uh, and, you know, what I was, you know, the, the issues we were working on, you know, were not hidden from folks, you know, right when you're in the when you're in the White House, you know, they're on the front page of the newspaper. And, right. And, but, uh, you know, a perspective that um, that it's not about sort of it's not about me um, that that sort of that this is not the primary sort of moment or happening in the universe right. um, that, that allows you to engage in politics in, in, a, in a healthier way. Yeah, that's huge. That is absolutely huge. If politics is a source of life, value, identity, you approach it one way. If it's not, you approach it a completely different from a completely different place. Why did you what, what was behind the reclaiming hope kind of title? What needs well, reclaimed? Well, yeah, I mean, hope has just become so loaded with um, just common usage. Yeah. Uh, with people loading onto hope a whole range of political solutions and programs and, uh, you know, self help kind of stuff um, that everyone's talking about hope, but, but, um, but everyone's, at, everyone wants to talk about hope, but, there's a haunting in our culture that um, that people don't really know what they could hope for. Right. Um, and so uh, to reclaim hope, I, I wanted to make sure um, I believe hope is going to be a primary resource for us in the, in the years uh, and decades ahead, especially Preach. the American church. Yeah. And so uh, if we, um, if, if if we're able to have our feet planted in the in the in the right spot, then all of these engagements and all of these um, challenges will be fine. Uh, but if we think that politics or culture is sort of where we need to ground ourselves, um, we're 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 going to be on sinking sand. Oh. And so and so reclaiming hope is about. Um, you know, in, in the dictionary, it says uh, that to reclaim is to um, make land that was not fit for use, like a wasteland, fit for use once again. Hmm. And so, 
so that's kind of the idea of the of the book. Let, let's walk readers through what it looks like to be to see our politics up close. Because right, one of the worst things is a is a book on hope that is from someone who doesn't deal with the actual realities <laughs> of life. You know, right. so people people read it and go, well, well, this guy seems like he he's never you know faced any real challenges or doesn't know kind of what's going on. Right. Part of the idea with the book was to walk readers through the best and the worst of our politics and come out on the other side and say, this isn't this isn't a book about, you know, the young idealist who becomes a cynic. Uh, this is a book about someone who saw our politics up close and came up on the other side with a firmer, more lasting hope than I he had. I love that. Come on. All right. One last question for you, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. Um yeah. What and I and I know these are sort of cheesy general questions, but I'm I'm genuinely curious as to your answer. If you if you had a bully pulpit and could just say anything to the socially conservative church, what would you say? And what would you say about just now and how to be now, and what the perceptions are now? And what would you say to the progressive, uh, progressive side of the church uh, about p a political engagement and? and a counsel you would give them in the, in the kind of polarized place we live in now? Yeah. Um, so, it, you, you know, you, you want to, I, I just want to, want to be careful about, you know, speaking too, too generally about folks, right? There's great diversity, even in progressive Christianity and sort of sure. more social and conservative, but um, to social conservatives, my, my general temptation is to is to speak really high up, but I'll I'll actually give really practical advice, which is um, there there are things that you've wanted to accomplish politically that are more possible now than they were before, but if four years from now, eight years from now, the pro life movement or the pro family movement or whatever is identified with President Trump, all of your victories will be on hollow ground um, and it will it will collapse underneath your feet. Um, and so social, social conservatives need to be thinking uh, practically about um, the opportunities to make gains that they want to make in the short term. Um, and and some of those might be wise. But if they're not also thinking on a parallel track about how they uh, make sure that their movement is uh, defined separately and apart from a Donald Trump in this administration, um, then their ability to effectively advocate beyond Donald Trump uh, is going to be um, really seriously hindered. Hmm. And so that would be my advice to social conservatives. For, for progressive Christians, um, well, let me just um, need to be, uh, I think progressive Christians tend to feel, um, uh, a bit isolated um, and a bit that uh, they don't feel like they're embraced by sort of um, the loudest parts of the American Christian church. And then they also feel like they have to maybe um, hide their faith um, or, or, or it just doesn't resonate with, um, with progressives. Um, I would say to them, you need to be really careful about not, identifying yourself and taking pride in who you are not 
as opposed to who you are. So I think there's a great temptation for progressive Christians to, 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 um, to, you know, wear, wear t-shirts that says, you know, I'm on the front of them. I'm not that kind of Christian. Um, and, and that, that can lead to some pretty, pretty dangerous places. And so, uh, so that would be, if progressive Christianity is growing, if, if, uh, if it's becoming more public and I think there's, I don't know how true that narrative is, but to the, you want to make sure that you're that you're more about what you're for than what you're against, Come or on. more about who you are than who you are not. Dang. So, yeah. Michael, man, really good stuff, dude. Thank you. You've added you've added some wonderful contour to conversations we've been having on the podcast for months. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, the book is Reclaiming Hope, found all over the place. Highly recommended by the Vox team. Or at least one of us who've read it. <laughs> but and there's another one that doesn't read much. Ah, well, my, Mike reads books in like an hour, and I've watched about an hour worth of Michael and listened to him for a little more than that. So okay. for what it's worth. Okay. <laughs> so, bro, thank you so much, man. Um, g- give us the name of what you're involved with now. What's the name of the foundation? I'm, uh, so I'm I'm uh, I run a consulting firm uh, called Public Square Strategies. Nice. Uh, and then I, I founded with my buddy Alan Noble. Uh, an organization yeah. called Public Faith, um, and so if you're interested in a fresh, um, uh, life-giving uh, kind of Christian political engagement, check out Public Faith on Facebook, online, publicfaith.us. You could sign up, get updates. Um, we're in a reorg period after the election, but but you're going to want to stay tuned. I love that. Yeah. Now, in terms of interviews, you've you've been through many. Where would you rank this one? In terms of just general friendliness, <laughs> precision and in-depth questions, knowledge of the material, good looks. I mean, where 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 do we rank? Uh, on a scale of shorts to long pants, this was like a jorts, I think. <laughs> <laughs> There's texture to that because we're talking jeans and oh, shorts and length. Oh, my like. goodness. That was the best answer of the day right there. That's a new scale. Yes. That's a new scale for us. Well, many blessings to you, my friend. Thank you for what you do. We're benefiting from uh, from it all the way out here. And uh, just get out. Get outside today, man. Get outside. <laughs> you, you, you know, you've just described our Tuesday, every Tuesday. You, yeah, however, right. you need to get outside. Get some sun on those all legs. Let's go. All right. See you guys. See you. Thank, Thank you. you so much, man. So, um, sorry that his email thing kept blowing up, <laughs> pinging, <laughs> and, and he hangs up on the president. But um, I, I hope that uh, for, for some of you, unlike Andy, who read books, um, <laughs> you, you may want to check this one out. But there, there, there's the, there's, there is this kind of movement now that, that I'm aware of, um, that he's a part of, of, okay, we need to reimagine Jesus following in the public sphere. This is not working. This is harming our witness. This, even whatever policy gains we get um, in the in the long run, like he said, I mean, we're really going to be, really going to come back uh, around to haunt us. And so, um, I, there's just a whole crew uh, of folks that we're part of uh, that are out there reimagining these things. So love that we were able to have him on. Um, engage with him. Great guy. Andy, you want to add anything? I mean, I felt like that was a, I felt like it was a jorts. It was for sure. Yeah. A jorts jorts episode. Yes. So that that comes in probably around maybe a four or a five. See, (laughs) no.
I think I think like if it was capris, it would be a four or five jorts. Man, I'm I'm a fan. But are we saying jean shorts? Or are we saying jeggings? Oh, I mean, that's where you yeah. see. That's where I'm a little okay. It could be. It's confusing. murky. It's that's it murky. murky. So it sounds like when he walks down like the hall in shorts, it sounds like corduroy. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. that's what that's the issue. The issue isn't his fondness for pants. The issue is his aversion. Yes. To suddenly like aversion to shorts. Yeah, exactly. And and not and shorts are not for everybody. Right. And, and we're okay. It's safe. It's safe. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, we we continually are uh, excited to introduce you into to people that that we've uh, benefited from, and uh, we've got a couple more interviews coming in the next several weeks. Easter's coming, so get ready for that. Um, and that's all I got, Andy. Anything? That's it. Nothing. Uh, all right. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. May he bless your white legs, if they're white, uh, or if they're colored, bless colored legs, or if they're Asian, bless Asian legs, or if they're Mexican, bless Mexican legs. Whatever, whatever legs you've got, may the Lord bless them and give you peace. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.